0: Barukat Aronai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Asher B'karbanu Mikolamim VeNatan Lanu Et Torato Barukat Aronai No Amen. This week's section of the Aggadah to the Romans will be chapter one, verses twenty-eight through thirty-two, corresponding and correlating to Parsha Kedoshim, which is Vayikra 19, 1 through chapter 20, verse 27. I want to start off with Zohar Kedoshim 3, 16, or section 16. Zohar Kedoshim 3, section 16. Rabbi Abba taught that this portion of Kedoshim comprises the entire Torah. I want to repeat that. Rabbi Abba taught that this portion of Kedoshim comprises the entire Torah. You may have heard something along the lines of Mashiach's words that the greatest commandment is that we should love Adonai our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. And the second is like the first. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's actually in this week's parashah. Actually in chapter 19 in verse 18. And we learned that it's actually connected to a verse about bearing a grudge. So I would like to read that verse in context because context is key. So Vayikra 19, specifically in verse 18, it says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against any of your people, but love your neighbor as you love yourself. Ani Adonai. And love your neighbor as you love yourself is the crux of that verse. But I would like to point out that the seal of this verse is Ani Adonai. Literally, Hashem is signing off on this that, you know, I fully endorse this. And go figure that when we look at the number one commandment is that we shall love Adonai our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength is directly connected to loving our neighbor. And I would like to point out that when we read the Ten Commandments, also known as the the ten words, uh, which correlate obviously to the ten words of creation. But I digress that the first word of that section that is actually in Chapter 20 of Shemot, it says Anoki, which is the word for I. Hashem's name, I Onoki, which is an acronym for I wrote myself down and gave it to you, which is the word of God. That's why Yokanan writes that in the beginning was the word, the word was God, the word was with God. And then later in that same chapter, he says the word took on flesh. But this is nothing new because the word took on a rock. The word took on a mishkan. The word took on a Kohen Gadol. The word took on a redeemer who would lead the people of Israel out of bondage, namely the Exodus. This is why there is a specific angel who's called the teacher of the way. He's uh acronymed MemTet, and he is the one who actually led the children of Israel out. As it says in Yeshiyahu, the angel of his presence saved them. I'm going to source that out. Stand by. All right, Baruch Hashem. So it is Yeshiyahu, Isaiah 63, 9. Interestingly enough, oh, I didn't bring that source. Never mind. I will continue. The passage here, it says the angel of his presence saved them in his love. And I'm going to read the whole verse and all their distress. He too was distressed. Sounds interesting because that is the commentary on Hashem appearing before Moshe in the burning bush on Mount Sinai, which is also called Mount Horeb. Uh, The reason why he appeared in the burning bush is to symbolize that he is with his people in their distress and affliction. This is also why Mashiach Yeshua was in a quote unquote bush as he cried out to Hashem, which was himself. He cried out to himself because Hashem prays to himself, talks with the word, the word talks with him and vice versa. Hashem in his right arm kind of thing. Hashem and his Mashiach, or Hashem and the angel of Hashem, all all this connection points. It says, uh, or in the garden here, when Mashiach is crying out, he's crying out in the distress of having to drink the bitter cup of judgment that is upon us, because we should have been the one to have to endure the punishment, but he endured it. And the way we continue to endure it is through living lives of connecting to his death, his burial, and his resurrection. It's not just the fact that Mashiach died for us. It's the fact that when he was buried, when you bury a body you purify that body of all the sin because everything is released back into the earth. And so it's a form of atonement actually to bury someone. And uh, there's codification of this information available uh, about burying a body and how it atones for sin. Well, that is uh, not a part of the scope of this particular uh, section of teaching, but Just know that, believe that, and trust that. That is a part of Jewish teaching. This is why we, as Jews, want to bury the body as soon as possible. We don't cremate. We don't uh, do the Viking funeral or any of that. So, continuing on, it says, And the angel of his presence saved them. This is Yeshiyahu 63.9. So, the angel of his presence is interesting to note that the Ivrit says literally the angel of his face. So I just want to point that out and finish the verse. It says in his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. So that is super important to know that What Mashiach did for us is already talked about in the prophets. It's actually talked about in the Torah, specifically the oral Torah, because remember, none of the written word of the Tanakh talks about Mashiach. So that's important to know. There's nothing that says his name is going to be Yeshua. And I'm just talking simple Peshat, read the text, no commentary, just plain and simple. And so the only way we know that there's a Mashiach is through the Pharisees. And this is why the Pharisees, which are Perushim, are the ones who are the main uh, connects to questioning Mashiach, to speaking specific things with Mashiach and uh, asking questions and him rebuking them. The reason why he rebukes them is because they are his children. You don't rebuke someone unless you love them. And it's hard to rebuke someone because you love them. So there's that. All right. And then back to our topic at hand. So when we go back to the Zohar Kedoshim 3, section 16, talking about the portion of Kedoshim comprises the entire Torah and it is sealed with the ring of truth. And like I was saying, in Vayikra 1918, Hashem seals the greatest commandment, which is the second greatest commandment, which is like the greatest commandment, the first. The first and the second are exactly parallel. And just in case I did not mention it, I want to reiterate that when we read the Ten Commandments, that the first word of the Ten Commandments is I, which is I am Hashem, and the last word is your neighbor. So you look at the Aleph and the Tav of the Ten Commandments in Shemot chapter 20. It starts with I am and it ends with your neighbor. So Hashem is saying, I am your neighbor. You should love me and you should love your neighbor because I'm your neighbor. And Mashiach says, if you do anything to the least of them, you've done it to me. So all of that. Okay. And then we go back to our Zohar. It says, In this portion, there are new supernal secrets of Torah and the Ten Mitzvot, in the Ten Commandments, and decrees, penalties, and heavenly Mitzvot. So it's important to note that the secrets of Torah are only found in Messiah Yeshua. Messiah Yeshua is the living Torah, like the Torah literally taking on flesh. This is important because all of the teachings about Mashiach is that he is supposed to give us the secrets of Torah, the inner meaning, the inner dimensions of Torah. And so this is brought down via a source called the Messiah text. So now if we're looking at Parashat Kedoshim, this is a very monumental and epic Torah portion for us to grasp. And if we see that it is so full of mitzvot that it's just no wonder that this is, this comprises the entire torah because the entire torah is summed up in the fact that we need to love our neighbor as we love ourselves which i believe shaul since we're talking about his letters he talked about that uh let's see the entire law sourcing it out real quick yes this is the entire law is summed up. Slika. It is in Galatians. So the letter, the it, get it to Galatia. It is uh, chapter 5, verse 14. For the entire Torah is fulfilled in keeping this one mitzvah. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So. To our Egeret to the Romans section for this week. Here we go. It says, I'm going to read actually 28 through 31, because this is one big sentence. There is a lot in here. So uh, again, I will be actually returning back to the Orthodox Jewish Bible. And so uh, last week I did not read from that version. So I want to continue the consistency with that. It is very Yiddishy. Yes, Yiddishy is now a new word. There's a lot of Yiddish in here, but it also mixes in some Ivrit and we will break it down. So, here we go. Starting with verse 28. It says, "And as far as God's worthiness to be recognized by them." Pause. So them are those who suppress the truth, those who are given over to unnatural desires because they reject the truth of Hashem, those type of people. okay? So it says so it's and as far as God's worthiness to be recognized by them was concerned, here we go, first Yiddish word, the, the Balt, which means sense, the bolt, okay? they marked God down as failing the test. It's interesting because remember, Hashem is the one who is the giver. Like, you know, Hashem said, here's my law, choose life or death. And this statement is basically saying the recipient goes, no, not only do I not want your law, but actually it's not even worth my time. And you should not actually even be extending me this. So, you know, fail on your part. I'm going to go over here and do this now. So that's literally the level, very disturbing as it is. Continuing on, says, therefore God in wrath delivered them over to a failure of a brain, one that has a mind bent on doing what is perversely unworthy filled with all resha, which is evil or wickedness, wickedness, Hamdanut, which is greediness, and what is damagingly evil, full of Kina, which is jealousy. This is where we get the word Sinat hinam which is baseless hatred, which is why, um, When you look at the word for kina and the word for jealousy, and talks about, you know, when Hashem says, I am a jealous God, and he's talking about that in the context of idolatry and, and things like that. Like Hashem is so jealous for us because he realizes the effects of idolatry. Not only does it turn us away from Him, but it <clears throat> Sleekah, but it actually regresses us as mankind. Don't need to say anything further than just look at the world around us today. Due to the fact that mankind continues to turn further and further away from Torah, the world turns further and further into regression. Okay? So that's Kina, says full of Kina. It says ritzach, which is Murder. Rivalry, Mirma, which is deceit, Meriva, which is strife. You may have read this from today if you hear his voice, the famous Tehillim that says, do not test Hashem as you did at Meriva and Masa when you were in the wilderness. There's this one time we told Hashem we were thirsty. He showed us water and we were like, no, it's bitter and all that kind of stuff. And so that's Meriva, which is strife. And the next word is remia, which is guile or deceit. The next, one, next part says all kinds of lashon horah, malicious, backbiters, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant braggarts. So if we can just summarize this section, this is all about the fact of when you reverse The roles of who is Hashem and who is the child, who is Hashem, who is the create, who is the the one that Hashem created. When you take the creation that will in turn flip the roles and tell the creator what they're supposed to do, this is what happens. When we don't follow Hashem's directives, when we don't consider Hashem of his actual worth and his actual value and esteem, this is what we end up with. We end up with being delivered, okay? Delivered, like we are given over. You know, like it's something that's so natural, something that's not easily discerned because you've already put yourself on this role and uh, there's a superhero or a supervillain actually called the Juggernaut. And his power is once he gets momentum going, he's pretty much unstoppable. And we become basically juggernauts for the regression and for just absolute, just not good. Okay. We become that juggernaut when we tell Hashem, you are not worthy as you say you are. You are not to be my God. You are not to be praised. You are not to be followed. Your ways shall not be my ways. So this is what happens. We have a a failure of the brain. So our mind has been on doing what is perversely unworthy. And I don't really need to go into any more depth on that. So just want to put that out there that this is where it all stems from. Pun intended because, you know, our brains have a stem that connects our brain to the actual rest of our body to cause things to happen. So, if we sever, you know, the functioning properties of how Hashem has created us to be, i.e. the mind of Hashem, the brain of Hashem, which is the Torah, by the way, or Mashiach, because remember, the Torah became flesh, because the Torah is the Word of God. The Torah was with God in the beginning, and the Torah is God. The Torah literally is God manifest, and letters and verses and teachings and spirit because the Torah is also spirit this is why shaul says this later in our Garret, specifically to the romans that the torah is spiritual and the problem is we are unspiritual but through mashiach yeshua we are delivered from that and until the final redemption may be speedily and soon in, in our days that is our current standing so in the Orthodox Jewish Bible, they put a little note here that says, also see the uh, Agarit to the Romans, chapter 4, verse 2, that says, For if Abraham Avinu was acc- accounted to be yitzdak im Hashem, set right with Hashem, righteous before Hashem, and acquitted before Hashem on the basis of Ma'asim, of gazettes. He has something to boast about, but not before Hashem. So first of all, let's get the Yiddish out of the way. Maasim of gazettes. By the way, gazettes is a Yiddish word for law. Okay. So what this verse is talking about is if Abraham was a accounted to be righteous before Hashem and acquitted before Hashem on the basis of ma'asim of the law, works of law. He has something to boast about, but not before Hashem. So we can, so we can deduct from this that Abraham has a right to boast if Hashem considered him righteous because of that. But if he stands in the presence of Hashem, there is no boasting there. So, obviously, there is more to the story in Bezrat Hashem in our upcoming series. We will get to that. But let's just look at the fact of where is this going? What is this talking about? Because this is actually connected back to verse 30 in chapter 1 of the Agarit to Romans, which says, arrogant braggarts. And so, we're looking at the fact of people who have been given over to a failure of brain, a mind that is bent on doing what is perversely unworthy. And now we're down to bragging rights or bragging none rights, I shall say, because you don't have any bragging rights. If you could have bragging rights, you'd pretty much have to be on a level above Abraham. And so when we look at chapter four, verse two, It says, well, if we're going to be justified by works of law, then you're pretty much like Abraham because if anybody could brag, it's him. But the only problem is he can't because there's someone higher than Abraham and that is Hashem. So there is no bragging room because at the end of it all, we all stand before Hashem. And when that moment comes, Chas there are any there are any of us who brag. So, works of law do not give us bragging rights. So that's just important to know. And works of law are not what accounts us as righteous. Because before you do works of law, you need to be set right with a And your being set right with a only comes through the fact of you placing your amuna in him that he renews your heart, he renews all of who you are, and that you begin to walk in the newness of life. And as Rabbi Griffin, aka Captain Israel, so beautifully quoted in the Aliyah Day, uh, the third reading for Kedoshim, he actually mentions the fact that when you look at the two Torah portions, Achare Mot and Kedoshim, which are normally read together, but this year they're not read together. He talks about the fact that, interesting, that Kedoshim, Parashah Kedoshim, comes after Akare Mot, which is the Torah portion that talks about atonement, which talks about forgiveness, which talks about a renewal of covenant. Renewal of covenant is Brit Hadasha, the renewal of the covenant And it is important to know that that is precedented by Yom Kippur, which was the original renewal of the covenant, because that was the day that the second set of tablets came down from the mountain, bringing us back into renewal of matrimony, Kiddushin with Hashem. But it wasn't on the same level as it was the first time the first tablets came down. So this is why it's important that we understand through Mashiach Yeshua renewing the covenant by his body being broken. He, in essence, takes those stone tablets, resurrects them as sapphire tablets. And now we have fragments and little bursts of those lights until his return when we will begin to experience the fullness of what we originally lost with the first set of tablets being broken. So now moving on, going back to the end of verse 30 in chapter one of the Agarit to the Romans, it says contrivers of evil, disobedient to Orim. Orim is the word for, stand by, Okay, so I was wanting to pull up a little bit more on this word Horeem, as opposed to just tell you what it is. And as I am looking here in the Encyclopedia of International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, Horeem actually connects us back to a group of people called the Horites, which are denoted as the inhabitants of Mount Seir, before its occupation by the Edomites. And Seir is accordingly called Horite. You can see Bereshit 36, 20, and verse 30 as well. And when we look at this, this is the habitation of uh, Asaph. And when we look at the fact of Mount Seir, This is the mountain, as we learned last week in Parashakari Moat, that Mount Ser is called the mountain of goat demons. And this is where the Azazel is sent toward that direction. It's sent out into the wilderness to a horrible place where it shall meet a horrible death. And the Azazel is the goat that is commonly called the scapegoat. And so... When we look at the fact that contrivers of evil and disobedient to horim, that is uh, a part of that connotation as well. But the other thing that's important to note that when we look at this verse as well, that this word is commonly translated as inventors or parents Um, and what is so interesting about this is the, the Horim are supposed to be teachers. They're supposed to be, uh, progenitors of basically intellect and understanding and, and things of that nature. And so the fact that you would be Disobedient to that which is supposed to help you, which is supposed to grow you, and you're going to be in a state of what is connected to Aesop. So, Aesop wanted to take Mount Seir because he could go straight to Mount Seir and he can get all of the riches, all of the wealth, all of the treasures, and all of the easiness of life. And he wouldn't have to wait for it. He wouldn't have to wait until, you know, the place where you store up your treasures where moths and rust can't get to, i.e. Hashemayim, the Olam Haba, the, the world to come. What's gonna, what we're going to begin to enter into with the final redemption may be speedily and soon in our days. But Esau wanted this world. He did not want to go into exile and he basically took what he could get now. And so, this whole instant gratification is connected with Khorim. It's connected with, you know, teaching, inventing, and things like that. And so, when you look at the fact of parents, and you look at the fact of inventors, that it's a process. It's not, it's not something that's immediate. And so trying to expedite the process, trying to skip all the hardship. This is the ultimate meaning of this verse that says these people do not respect or obey the Chorim, the process. And it's interesting that this word is actually a process, even though it's connected to a place of instant gratification via, you know, the Mount Seir and the Aesop teaching. So, back on to where we are now. Uh, going into verse thirty-one. So verse thirty-one says, "Without sekel." Okay, sekel is insight, and uh, it's also connected to like knowledge and understanding, or intuitiveness, or skill. Okay. So there is, there is an absence of all that. Okay. (laughs) Again, we're talking about people with failed brains because Hashem has delivered them over to that. So obviously there would be no cycle there. And then it says without ne emanut, which is faithfulness. And then it says, so these are faithless people. And again, if you talk about emuna. Amuna has this connotation of devotion and this carrying out, so to speak. So if we are people of Amuna, not only are we devoted to Hashem, but we carry out Hashem. And let's go back to who Hashem is. Hashem is his word. His word is him. And his word is Mashiach. So, And then obviously Hashem is beyond all of that because... Hashem is infinite, but his word is infinite. And, you know, you got to look at all that. And Mashiach is also infinite as well, because he cannot be slain before the foundations of creation. Okay, we're talking about before creation. And then Mashiach is the one who created everything, you know, again. So is it Hashem? Is it Mashiach? Is it Torah? Is it spirit? This is why we have to understand the greatest commandment, which is Shema Yisrael. Hear, O Yisrael. Adonai Echad. Hashem is one. Okay? That's it. There is no Trinity. Okay? That is an attempt from people with fell brains. And I hate to say it like that, but that's ultimately what it is because. The fact that we're going to try to expound upon the oneness of Hashem by separating Him, that already begins to be the teeter-totter of where we started in our current passage here. So we don't want to put ourselves into that category. We don't even want to lean in that direction. But if we leave Hashem as a chad, we'll have a better opportunity to grasp him and there would be less of an opportunity for us to reject his Torah, to jettison the commandments and so on and so forth. Okay. This is why we have another faith system existing in the world today, apart from Torah and Judaism. And, you know, it goes on from there. So anyway, that's Neemanut, and then it says, without ahava, which is love. And remember, love is defined as mitzvot. Because when you tell someone you love them, but you don't have any care for them. You don't speak with them, you don't engage with them, you don't do things for them, that that shows that you do not love them. So it's not any different with Hashem. If we're not davening, if we're not doing acts of kindness, if we're not even studying his word, first of all, if we're not studying his word, we don't even know who he is because again, his word is who he is. You know, we talk about us as people and how we speak. How do you get to know other people? How do you come to love people and how do people express love to one another? We do things, okay? Because I love Hashem so much, I do His mitzvot. And sure enough, Mashiach said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So there is that. And moving on, it says that without rachamanut, Okay? And what's interesting about this word, rachamanut, it's actually connected to rachamim, which is the word for mercy. And so when you look at the fact that there is no mercy here, there is no faithfulness here, it's just, it's not good, you know? It's, it's just really bad. And so this is what happens when we suppress Hashem's truth, when we turn away from His word. And I'm just continuing to just be mind baffled, okay, just by the current state of affairs between mankind in general and the world in general, because we must be people who grab a hold of Hashem's word, and we must be people who don't try to adjust it or put our own twist to it. Because when we do that we change up everything and it's so beautifully brought brought down by Hasis Baz in the Haftarah portion for Kedoshim. he talks about the fact that we have so much power in our words we have so much power in our actions and what we do that that changes creation literally so if we if we make a sin you know we send out that sending energy if you will it's a it's an influence it's a momentum or de momentum i guess because if you sin it it causes a regression again i guess regression is the word today and so when you do that you send out that into the to the atmosphere and so there's brokenness and um interestingly enough as, as trivial as it is, and as crazy as it is, because, you know, I just love superhero stuff because it just correlates to who we are as, as believers. Which, by the way, did you know on the uh, 13 principles of the Rambam that the 12th principle is anima Mimbe be Like, I am believer, I believe with a complete perfect faith in the coming of Mashiach, though he tarry, or though he delay, yet I still believe. That word is ma'amin, which is actually the word for use for those who were called followers of the way as brought down in the passage of Acts. So when it talks about the people who were believers in Yeshua, who held fast to the Torah, who were actually called Jews, by the way, they weren't called Christians. So that's important to note. Christian has nothing to do with being a ma'amin, a believer follower of the way. So those are disconnected concepts. But anyway, back to what I was saying that, you know, um, the superhero theme is truly who we have to be as believers because we have to understand that we either destroy the world or we save the world by what we say and by what we do. And also by extension of what we think, because brought down in the daily wisdom this week was talking about not being a gossip monger, which is also in Parshat Kedoshim. And the fact is, is that even if we think negatively about someone, we bring those thoughts into a reinforcement and we bring them into a manifestation in that person. So that person begins to take on not only what we say that could be negative about them, but also what we think. So, I don't know about you, but I'm just saying. So, in this superhero example that I'm bringing up, this is a new trailer for the Spider-Man Far From Home movie. And in it, they make a little small statement that says, The Snap via Thanos, you know, when Thanos did his little snap thing, it caused a, I think he said it caused a hole or something in the universe or the multiverse or something like that. But anyway, it's basically referencing the fact that this little action caused a tear in the fabric of our reality. I guess it wasn't a little action then, because you think... The snap that, yeah, in and of itself is little, but the results of that little thing is not little. So little thing causes a big reaction. So let's think about this with our words. And so it's important for us to understand the power of of our speech, the power of our actions, the power of our deeds. So moving on to our final verse. Verse 32, it says, although they have known full well, I can just imagine Shaul just getting real like ethnic on this, (laughs) to say the least, because I remember growing up in a home where the, you know, the neck would roll and the, you know, the body language would get all like, don't test me on this. What I'm about to tell you right now, like complete sass, like. Likely wouldn't believe, you know, and I could just imagine him just getting like that right now. Although they have known full well that the just requirements of a shim, they've they've known this. They full well known the just requirements of a shim. So this is the thing. If there is anyone ever, anyone currently, anyone existing. That has ever existed, that currently exists, or that will exist. Anyone that gets themselves into this place of, yeah, I don't follow Torah, I have no idea what that is, and I live my own life and I just do it like this. It's like, well, the only problem with that is, you know full well the requirements of Hashem. His just gazettes, again, that's His law, that is that those who practice such things are bene M'avit, which is children of death. And it's significantly children of Thanos, I guess, the Black Order, which is funny because they were agents of destruction. So as it would be here. So how, how do we know full well? Well, if we go back up, we learn that nature reveals the truth of Hashem. You know, the fact that there are cycles of day and night, there are seasons, you know, uh, how animals react in nature, you know, the sights you see, the miraculous things that go on with your body, with your systems, how everything interlocks and reacts with one another and just the, the luminaries, you know, studying the solar system, you can study nature i.e. science, and you can come to find the truth of Hashem. There are boundaries. Why do we have oceans? Why do we have lakes? Why do we have rivers? And why don't we just have puddles of just, you know, big bodies of water all over what should be called land? Because Hashem has set boundaries. So that means on some level, and who we are and who, what we understand to know for truth and life, something that is real, something that is something to be hearkened to is because we can look that life has boundaries, you know, trees only take up so much space, you know, when we're driving our car, there are certain places you're supposed to drive and you're supposed to not drive that right there in and of itself is a manifestation of the truth of Hashem. If you think about how beautiful that is, that is absolutely insane, and it drives me crazy. You know I had to do that. I had to switch lanes on you and drop in some puns. Okay, but anyway, shifting back into gear over here. There's a full, well-known knowledge, and again, must we mention the Jewish understanding, as brought down from Midrash Tankuma, that when all of us are conceived in the womb that there's an angel that teaches us Torah for those nine months. And that right before we're actually conceived that our soul is summoned to Hashem and he gives us the whole rundown of what we're supposed to do and who we're supposed to be. And he says, you shall be righteous. The choice is yours. So, Like, we get to choose whether or not we shall walk in righteousness. But we know everything, we're taught everything, and just before we're born, we're struck on the nose, you know, right beneath our nose, right above our lip, the little indention mark that we have there. That is where we were struck, and that's what uh, caused us to forget everything that we learned. And so our whole life is a life of teshuva, returning to that from which we departed from. And the beautiful thing about that is apparently we as humans have gotten this down because we talk about, well, whatever you're looking for, it's right underneath your nose. I mean, that's a common saying for crying out loud. And I'm just kind of like, wow, so we already get this. And then here we are just answering the obvious. So again, there's a little note here that says that you shall check on Bereshit 2, 16 through 17 and Romans chapter 5, verse 12. And so these passages intertwine and relate and bring us back. So really quick, I'm going to go to chapter 5 and verse 12. And we'll just read that real quick before we get into our ending for Bereshit. Chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. Okay, so we got a chain here. So we got a man who brought in sin and then death came through sin. Okay, so we got the man who brought in sin, which brought in death before Man brought in sin, which brought in death. There was by default no sin, which also by extension meant no death. So we would have lived forever as humans, we would have never been sick, we would have never had anything to cause us heartache and pain like what we have now when horrible tragedies happen that seem like apparently for no reason. So, again. Is Hashem worthy? Is Hashem's truth something we should hearken to? Well, let's just say the moment we turned away from those things is the very moment that pain and heartache and sin and death entered into the world. But apart from all that, you know, everything was cool. So anyway, it says, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. And it's important to note why all sinned because all of mankind was found in Adam, and so, which is the first man, and so obviously, all of mankind is to be found in the second Adam. The only problem with that is some of us have chosen to sever ourselves, and some of us have chosen to cleave and attach ourselves. The choice is ours because whether we like it or not. What Mashiach's death, burial, and resurrection ministered to all of creation, even outside of creation, but had to happen at creation at some point, which is when he was conceived uh, through the virgin birth of Miriam, when he came into the world that way, because he came into the world another way in the beginning, like as the light that penetrated the darkness, and he was also the lamb that was brought forth uh, from before creation that was already slain. He was also the word of God that was spoken. So Mashiach has come into the world continuously, you know. He's constantly coming into the world because of his spirit, because the word of God is continuing to go forth. So every time is like Mashiach being born. But anyway, I digress. So, whether we like it or not, what Mashiach's death, burial, and resurrection accomplished is for all of creation. This is why Daniel writes that some will be resurrected to eternal life and some to eternal shame. But the beautiful thing about it is Hashem's Torah is full of grace. So, even though we may have died and perished, chas shalom in this life, that in the in the afterlife, you have a purification process to enter into called Gehinnom. And Bezrat Hashem, you know, it doesn't take you long to go through Gehinnom, if that needs to be the case. But, you know, you don't have to experience all of that, because soul pain is worse than physical pain. And again, I talked about this extensively in the Haftara podcast for Ketoshin with Hasis Baz. And, uh, you know, he brought down some things about Gehenna in there and giving us a better understanding, especially the Jewish mindset, the uh, appropriate mindset and the source mindset, if you will, of where Gehenna came from, which is Gehenna is commonly known as hell. For some reason, people think that Jews don't believe in hell, which is far from the truth. So anyway, all of that to say that we are all a part of Adam, the first one and the second one, and so we are awaiting the return of the second Adam to finish rec- the rectification process of all mankind. This is why, when we're praying Baruch Abba Bashem Adonai, which is blessed is he who comes in the name of Adonai, that we're not just praying it so that we can end our exile, so that we can end our hardships, so we can end our suffering, our anxiety, our pain. Are just not having a temple, not being in our land, and having to continue to undergo tragedy after tragedy, we're actually praying and hastening the final redemption, not only because Hashem desires it, but because we should desire it for all mankind. We should want all mankind to know Hashem, for all of the blinders, for all of the concealment to be taken away, so that we can truly see our God, our maker for who he truly is beyond all of what we know currently, because the way we view life now is depending on, you know, are we seeing it from God's perspective or are we seeing it from our perspective? Because if we're seeing it from our perspective, then we're having to make it up as we go. But if we're seeing it from Hashem's perspective, then we're able to see through his eyes and understand how he set everything. And now we're just navigating through it. There is no making it up as it go, because it's already done. He knows the end from the beginning. And so where we are in finite time and space, trying to navigate through Hashem's word, it's already completed in his perspective. And so what we're doing is we're just revealing, we're peeling back the concealments, if you will. This is why it's the glory for kings to search it out. It's Hashem's desire or it's Hashem's way to conceal a thing, but it's the glory of kings to search it out. That's actually a, a proverb. So when we look at the fact of being in God's word, we're having the opportunity to unveil, if you will, the hiddenness that's in this world, which interestingly enough, tonight's Omer that I counted, uh, is, let's see here. I want to go back to it. It's two weeks and four days of the Omer, which is 18 days, uh, which is two weeks. And it talks about the fact that this world is called a garden. But the thing is, is it's not called a garden commonly. If you ask any average person, hey you think this world is a beautiful place or do you think this world is just horrible and it's just like well it's usually the the latter and not the former but this omer is bringing down for 18 days here it says that the world is not a dark sinister jungle but a garden And not just any garden, but God's own pleasure garden, full of beauty, wonderful fruits and fragrances, a place where God desires to be with all his essence. And how do we get to see that? How do we get past the concrete jungle, the cold, dark world? How do we get past that? We have to humble ourselves. We have to embrace the word of God. We have to take part in the death, burial, and resurrection of Mashiach, which is what we do when we make Teshuvah, which is what we do when we forsake our own path and our own will for His. So, to conclude our time here in Bereshit chapter 2 verses 16 through 17. In verse 16 it says, Adonai God commanded the man saying from any tree of the garden, you may eat freely. Okay. So when you really look at it, there's like so much to this. This is, this is Torah 101. Hashem is giving a commandment right now and he's giving a positive commandment. Okay. A positive commandment far outweighs a negative commandment. If Hashem says, you shall keep the Shabbat, you shall make it holy, you shall have a holy convocation, that far outweighs a do not of any kind. Do not do this, do not do that, do not do da-da-da-da-da. You are so caught up in the fact of what you're supposed to do and what you get to do, that you forget about what you're not supposed to do. So, uh, and it's interesting because uh, Rabbi Trugman brings down from the Orchard of Delights, uh, from a Parsha Kare Mode, I believe, um, I am depending on uh, the Havenger Yovel, which is our Shomer version of Jubilee, and shouts out to her. Uh, we were in our Torah study group on Shabbat and she brought up the fact that this was in Trugman. So somewhere in Orchard of Delights, she was bringing down the fact that Rabbi Trugman goes into about how do you observe the Shabbat and it being a determination of what your olam haba looks like. If you were so constricted and so sucking the life out of your Shabbat, then you're pretty much set up to be a park bench. He literally puts that in there. But if you're someone who's joyous, if you're someone who's just so excited, who's adding delight and pleasure and beautifying all the mitzvot, then you have a vibrant Olam versus being a park bench. And so when you look at what Hashem is saying here in Bereishit 216, he's like, man, okay, obviously coming up here because Hashem already knows the end from the beginning that I'm going to tell you don't eat from this tree and you're going to eat from it. But I'm not going to lead out with that. I'm actually going to lead out with something that should capture your attention, something that should inspire your heart, something that should cause you to just, you know, be filled with joy and gladness versus focusing on what you can't do and what you should stay away from. Because here's the thing. If you know where danger is. Then. You want to know how to avoid it, I would hope. And if you knew all these other things that you could do that were not dangerous, and then there was something dangerous, but because of all these things that you knew that you could do that weren't dangerous, and if you did these things, it would keep you away from danger, wouldn't common sense say, I'm going to do all these other things because they're going to keep me from danger, and therefore... I don't need to know what danger is. I don't need to go try to see what it is. I don't want to go experience it. This is the renewed Torah, by the way. This is like renewed Torah 101. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Because we love Hashem so much, because we love Mashiach so much, that we want to do every single thing that comes out of the mouth of Hashem. Oh, wait, that's what man lives off of. Not by bread alone, but off every word that proceeds out of his mouth. Okay. So anyway, if we were to eat from any tree in the garden, just imagine that. Eat from any tree in the garden. Just go for it. Okay, Hashem's giving us free reign. And then he adds in the next verse. He says, but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. And this is connected back to the Gerrit to the Romans chapter one, verse 32, because it says that those who practice the, the breaking of Hashem's law, which is sin, by the way, uh, that is first Yochanan chapter three, verse four. I was going to source that out separately, but it fits so beautifully right there. So there you go. So those who practice breaking the law of Hashem, they're called the sons of Mavit, the children of Mavit, the children of death. So when you look at the fact that you will surely die when you do something Hashem told you you're not supposed to do, then you've now entered yourself into a family family that is parented by death and lawlessness, okay? So you become children of that. So, chasvei shalom, that that is the case. So, let's pull up and connect this back to the parasha with parsha Keroshim from the Kehert Humash, Hasidic Insights, the Kehot Humash, uh, vaikra 19.23-25, Hasidic Insights. It says... All of the Torah's commandments are aimed at rectifying the primordial sin. Crazy thing is, there is always this, or not always, but there is sometimes said, Judaism doesn't believe in oral or original sin. And it's just like, really? Judaism don't believe that there's an original sin? Then why over here in Vayikra 19, 23 through 25, Hasidic Insights from the Kehot Humash, Say that the Torah's commandments, like all of them, are aimed at rectifying the primordial sin. And it, as we go on, we're going to see that it's talking about the sin in the garden of us breaking and violating Bereshit chapter two, chapter verses sixteen and seventeen. Bereshit two sixteen through seventeen, because we broke that. Hashem was like, okay, here you go. Here's the Torah. Here's a written copy full of spirit. Oh wait, you don't want it. You want a golden calf. Okay. I'm going to break this now. Okay. Let's try this again. I'm going to give you a lesser version of this because I trusted you with a better copy before, but you know, you didn't want that. And it also got broken. So here's this. And then Hashem is like, you know what? The time has finally arrived for me to begin to bring the redemption the final redemption that is, you've already gone through everything you need to go through. So now let's bring all mankind back to their original status, giving you an even better copy of the tablets than the Sapphire tablets. And that is going to be me, i.e. my right hand, i.e. my son, Mashiach Yeshua. Okay. And then Mashiach Yeshua is rejected ultimately, which is a part of the plan, even though it shouldn't have been a part of the plan because we should have been ready for the redemption right there. But because of our hardness of heart, we chose Caesar. We chose Barabbas. We chose our own way, and we did not want to listen to Hashem. And so Mashiach's body was broken. But the cool thing about breaking the life and the resurrection is, because that's who Mashiach is. Mashiach is the living Torah. He's not just sapphire tablets. He's the fleshly version of what was on the sapphire tablets. What made the sapphire tablets so great and glorious is the spirit of God. And so now when the spirit of God in flesh is broken, when the spirits re-exerted back in that, it recreates, it refashions, it reforms that, that body just like it did originally with Adam in the garden, because Hashem's spirit was blown into what Hashem fashioned from creation. So this is the body of Mashiach. So now we have the level of Adam, and this is the second Adam, and this is Mashiach Yeshua. This is why the resurrection and the life is so powerful. This is why that's what we have to operate in. This is what we have to abide in in order for Hashem to abide in us, in order for us to uphold the Torah, in order for us to be filled with simka, joy, and sason, gladness. All right, so going on in the Hasidic Insights, it says, but in the case of this commandment, The association is explicit. So this is talking about the fact that we wait until the fourth year to partake of the fruit from a tree. And in that fourth year, that's Kedosh Hashem fruit, which means you don't just eat that anywhere. You take it to the temple and you eat it either in the temple precinct or somewhere in Jerusalem. Which side note, if you're supposed to take it to the temple precinct, but you can also eat it in Jerusalem. And what does that say about Jerusalem says it's like an extension of the holiness of the temple. So there's that. But anyway, so it says, Adam, as we know, was created on Friday afternoon, a.k.a. the sixth day, a.k.a. prep day. And it says, and was immediately issued his first mitzvah, not to eat from the tree of knowledge. From the perspective of the midrash, which both defers And from and complements that of the contextual meaning of the text, this command was to remain in effect for only three hours until Shabbat. So had we waited, because remember all of us are in Adam, had we waited three hours, we would have been able to eat from this tree. So if we would just take three hours, could we not just take one hour. I mean, three hours. I mean, one hour. Cause Yeshua said, "Could you not stay awake with me for one hour?" Mashiach is like, guys, I desire to bring the redemption so much that you don't even have to do three hours. Just do one. Just give me, just give me something, and and I'll take that, and I'll just take it over the top. If you go back to the podcast from the Acharei Mot Torah to Basora podcast. We go into this whole beautiful thing about teshuva and how Hashem really helps us with teshuva, on teshuva really takes our merits over the top and turns our former transgressions into merits. Like it's, it's this whole just amazing epic dropkick of information, but I digress. So when we look at the fact that if we would have just spent three hours eating from everything else, I mean, how big is Gan Eden anyway? I'm pretty sure if you tried to eat from everything in the garden, it would take you at least three hours, hopefully. But I don't know. Maybe that's just me being super hopeful. But I would love to think that if I had three hours to do what Hashem said I could do, then Bezrat Hashem, I would do that. But the only problem is, is we have this thing within us that we want to be curious. We want to seek other things, and the moment we knock Hashem off the throne, which is just so crazy to think about, like, how do you knock Hashem off the throne? Because Hashem cannot be dethroned, you know? But it's like, well, in your life, He can, because you have a choice if you're going to be righteous or not, if you're going to follow His way. Hashem will let you. He'll let you live life on your own terms. He will. And we just have to know that. So it says that, um, okay, so if we would have waited only three hours until the Shabbat, at which time Adam was to use this fruit to sanctify the Shabbat. This was Kadosh Le Hashem fruit that was supposed to be used in the fourth hour. So now we see here, as the um, Hasidic insight is going to bring down, I'm just going to go ahead and skip to that part says, in order to rectify this sin of refusing to wait three hours, we are required to wait three years before we partake of the of any tree fruit by treating the fourth year <clears throat> fruit in holy manner, eating it in the holy city of Jerusalem as an act of praise to God, we rectify the fact that Adam did not first taste the fruit as part of the sanctification of the Shabbat. This is brought down by Sifte Cohen, Sifte Cohen Kedoshim, and Lakute Torah 2, section 29a, and also Sikot Kodesh, 5714, page 176. So what do we end with this first chapter of the Aggadah to the Romans? Well, we end with the simple fact of this. That Hashem has allowed this section to be given to us, and Shaul penned this writing, and he's talking to this congregation of of new believers who are new ma'amin, okay, they're followers of the way, they learned about Mashiach, they learned about Torah from the Shabbat that Kepha gave such an amazing drashet, because remember, how did this uh, agarit get there? It got there by the hands of a of a Eshet Chayil named Phoebe, who was in Corinth with Shaul at some point. They crossed paths. He was like, hey, I heard you're going towards Rome. Can you please drop this off with those believers over there? Because I'm going to make my way there and I want to have this word delivered to them. So he introduces himself and then he goes into what his message is, what his obligation is. And then he goes into the fact that there are issues and discrepancies with people in the world and with not embracing what Hashem is so blatantly placed before us. Just like Hashem so blatantly placed before us Torah, life, goodness, blessing, and we rejected it. So Shaul is opening up the Agarit to the Romans, chapter 1, Given that whole backdrop. So I started with the Zohar and I want to end with the Zohar. And I want to connect it actually to Mishle 14 or Mishlei 4 verse 18, which is Proverbs. So the Zohar section is going to be Ketosheen 23, section 134, which says, what is the difference between a path and a way? A way, and and yes, think about Mashiach saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then there, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. And Hashem is the one who makes a path in the wilderness where there is not currently, you know, a path. Okay? So think about all those different verses. All your ways and all your path verses. Okay? Um, so, yeah. There's another proverb that talks about path and things like that. So think about that one too. Okay. So what's the difference? A way, which is Derek, implies a way that all the feet of people tread. So again, remember I said that we're all in Mashiach Yeshua, whether we like it or not. It's just, are we cleaving to him or are we rejecting him? So there's that. So the thing is, is we're all supposed to walk in Torah. We're all supposed to walk in Mashiach. We're all supposed to walk in the spirit. We're all supposed to walk in Hashem. That sounds like the Elenu prayer that we pray every day, at least three times a day. So that's what a way is. And then it says a path, which is Orach, okay, by the way, which has connotations of light. Okay, because Or is light. And it says... A path is a recently opened path and has not been trodden long by many people. This is like narrow is the path and few find it kind of thing. Okay. Emphasis on the few find it because in order to see light, you have to want it. You have to desire it. You have to also not reject it when it's shown to you. Because truth be told that when you share your Torah with people, observance you know prayers insights teachings that's all you shining light and when people go oh not that law stuff or you know all that any of those rejections that you get fewer finding this path now because they've now cut off that uh that opportunity that entry point if you will so the path can bring you into the way is basically where this is going But I digress and I continue here. It says about this path does the verse say, but the path of just men is like the gleam of sunlight that shines ever more brightly until the height of noonday. Enter in Mishle chapter four, verse 18 says, the path of the righteous is like the glow of sunlight, growing brighter until high noon. Sunlight is a metaphor for Torah scholars. Sunlight is a metaphor for Torah scholars. Okay, so we're called children of the light. So what does that mean? We're supposed to be Torah scholars. How do you be a Torah scholar? Get acquainted with Mashiach Yeshua. Learn him. Yoke with him. Learn of him. Conform your life to his lifestyle Do what he taught us Be who he modeled for us That's how you become a Torah scholar If you're a follower of Mashiach like that I guarantee you You will be a Torah scholar because People are going to be like What yeshiva did you go to? And you're going to be like Yeshua And they're going to be like You went to salvation yeshiva? Yes, you're correct Yeshua, yeshiva But anyway, it says So whose growth in Torah is continued, continuous. This is why we have to abide in Mashiach and he abides in us because we being like Torah scholars, metaphorically a, uh, a sunlight, uh, and we have to grow because, you know, in order for sunlight to be shown into the world, it starts just before dawn, you get a little bit of light, a little bit of glow, and then it rises, it rises, increases, increases. And that's how your Torah study is, by the way. You can't take this all on at once. The way you can take it all on at once is by saying Shema Yisrael and loving your neighbors you love yourself because that is the entire Torah. But you grow in that and you embrace all the mitzvot. You learn how to eat kosher and then you eat kosher as you're learning. And then you learn how to keep the Shabbat. Well, you should do that. You should do the Shabbat as soon as possible because that's just, just what you should do. So as much as you can enter into the Shabbat, And then so on and so forth. So it says, like the day that grows brighter from dawn to to noon. It's from the Mizutot. It says the sages in Bereshit Rabbah 66.4 teach that the righteous suffer in this world. Okay, if you want to walk in righteousness, get ready for some suffering. Just saying. It says, but enjoy tranquility in the next. The beautiful thing about us suffering, because we desire righteousness and we want to walk in it, we hunger and thirst for it, is that, what, it's going to be 120 years, maybe, you know, uh, if some of us are really blessed and highly favored, or it's going to be, you know, 20-some years, 40 years, 50, 60, 80, I don't know. Who knows? Because none of us know when we're going to die. But... It's not forever that we're going to be in this form. It's not forever that we were going to be in exile, by the way, because I don't know about you, but I'm praying that the redemption comes before more of us die. So I would love for us to not have to die and for Mashiach to show up for the third temple to be rebuilt and for us to be brought out of our current exile. That would be great. That'd be the best way to do it. I mean, obviously, that's just my thinking, but that's also in my heart and my prayer. So Hashem, may you send Mashiach speedily and soon, Baruch HaBab Hashem Adonai, we are ready. Okay, so that we're going to suffer in this world, but we're going to have tranquility in the next. And remember, the next world that is to come, the redemption, post-redemption, or post-Geula, which is PG, PG, uh, post-Geula, after the redemption, basically uh, it says that there will be tranquility. So if you think about that, it's a long time and it's going to be without all the heartache and pain, and it's going to be without all the deficiencies and, you know, sicknesses, disease, so on and so forth. So wouldn't you rather take that and, and walk in righteousness in this world and get all your challenges and your tests out the way so that you can be like beast mode, holy beast mode, I should say, Uh, in the time to come. I'm just saying, I mean, it sounds like a great trade to me. So anyway, it says the righteous traverse an orach, a narrow shaded path that ultimately becomes a broad, sunny highway, like the dimness of dawn that becomes the brightness of noon from the Al-Sheikh. So the beautiful thing about what mashiach says is that narrow is the path and few find it is that because that's the beginning ultimately that broad path of destruction becomes a very tragic end but when we look at what is seemingly a very tragic beginning it's ultimately a beautiful wide broad and spacious uh continuous never end kind of thing so just something to think about and the last point here is coming from the Baal Shem Tov, it says the Torah is like the sun. Its light is always available, but it's up to the person to choose whether he wishes to be exposed to it. Romans chapter one. That's what it's all about. Here are the facts. And here's the person who gave us the facts. Shaul, sourcing stuff out, Jewish liturgy. And we have a choice to make. And so as we head into chapter 2, let us remember that we shall traverse the narrow path. And as Parsha Kedoshim is uh, being studied this week, may you continue to glean deeper, beautiful, wonderful insights from the Torah of Hashem. What do we know? What do we know? Baruch HaBah B'Shem Adonai. Baruch atah haronai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vechaye olam nata baruch atah haronai, noten ha-Torah. Amen.